welcome. You've got mail. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of TechStream. I'm your host, Seth Everett, along with the CEO of the Palmer Group, my friend Shelly Palmer. And Shelly, we have talked about social media and the toxicity around social media, but we took a different step this week. Yesterday, the head of Instagram was on the Today Show, and it ruffled you a bit. Yeah, it really did. Adam Mozeri, who's Facebook's head of Instagram, was on the Today Show. And, uh, well, let's take a listen. We have been working on this idea called Instagram Kids, at least outside in the world. The idea being a version of Instagram that's designed for tweens, and it's had a lot of attention. And so I think it's very possible we would be speaking. But today, we want to talk about how we're going to put the work on pause. I still firmly believe that it's a good thing to build a version of Instagram that's designed to be safe for tweens. But we want to take the time to talk to parents and researchers and safety experts and get to more consensus about how to move forward. So Instagram for kids is scrapped for the time being. Is that because we now think it was a bad idea? Absolutely not. Okay. I firmly believe it's a good idea. As a father, my, the most important thing to me is the safety of my children. And I have to believe that a world where there's a version of Instagram that's designed for tweens, one where there's no ads, where there's age-appropriate content, and one where a parent can choose to let their child use it and control things like who they follow and who they message, is better than the alternative. All right, let's talk about the kids for a second, because according to your own research, as I understand it, a third, roughly a third of teenage girls who said when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. How do we fix that? So I don't believe that's exactly what the research said, but I do want to be very clear that if anybody leaves using Instagram feeling worse about themselves, that's an important issue that we need to take seriously and that we need to figure out how to address. And so we have a number of ideas in the world of body image and negative social comparison. Last week, we announced that we were working on nudges, the idea that if you're going very deep in one topic, we might nudge you to try another topic. And another project that we call Take a Break, the idea being that you could put your Instagram on pause for a period of time if you're in a moment of vulnerability. Maybe you're going through a breakup or you just switched high schools. So it, I, I know the details are being worked out, but this Take a Break idea, how, I mean, how, how will that work? When will we see that in our feeds? So the way it would work is that your Instagram, your account, your profile, how you show up would essentially be on pause. So the specific details we're still working through, but you would be, you would, the idea is that you wouldn't have to worry about people talking about you, addressing you, commenting on your content while you were on a break. You would basically be able to leave and then come back and pick up exactly where you left off. Again, if you're listening to this the week that it's released, this was Monday. Uh, September 27th, when Adam Missouri went on the Today Show, um, there is a naivety there, uh, Shelley, to sit here and tell kids who are already worried that they're missing everything that's going on in their schools to take a break from Instagram. You've got to be joking. I, I actually was so stunned by this. Look, full disclosure, Facebook supports our innovation series summits. They've been good clients for years. There are a lot of my friends there. I'm sorry. This is over the top. And, you know, they can get mad at me or whatever, but you can't sit silent and listen to this. I'm going to make the giant assumption, Seth, that two things are true. One, Facebook has unlimited resources to hire the best PR people in the world who would have coached Adam prior to his. <laughs> Facebook of uh, to his uh, prior to his Today Show interview. And secondly, 
that they have unlimited resources to do research to make their product better. So knowing that, what do we understand? We understand that their answer to the, the terrifying impact that their own research shows Instagram has on young girls, especially young girls who already uh, have a bad body image or are already feeling pressures or they contend that it's not every young woman, but only young women who all have a proclivity to uh, be body shamed or, or any list of maladies that they were trying to, I don't know, say that you had to have preconditions for Instagram to really be harmful. I'm sorry, you harm one human being one human being that that's too much, one yeah. too many. So their first fix is to nudge people to other areas. If they're concentrating too much on one thing, they're going to nudge them. He didn't elaborate. Let me elaborate. No, I don't want to be nudged. The algorithm already is trained to fire every endorphin in my every dopamine receptor is like we are the social media has been proven by i don't know any how many psychological tests there's so much medical literature the the sugar and sex don't do as good a job getting you excited as a like on facebook or instagram i don't know why that's just the way the literature reads and if i'm overstating that slightly it's not by much we're talking it's at least on par in most of the literature i've seen and exceeds it in others they're going to nudge people to something else. That's so frightening by itself. Now you could argue that's what advertising does. It nudges you, it pulls your attention away. Serendipity does that. Now they're going to train an algorithm to nudge you off of something it thinks might be harmful to you. What could possibly go wrong? That's thing one. That's thing one. Now let's go to thing two, which is crazier. He looked straight into the camera and he said, we're also working on take a break. Take What's a break. that? What's that? Asks the interviewer. And the answer Craig is Melvin, who is a good journalist, a great journalist. And, and <laughs> the answer is <laughs> the interviewer. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to make this. I know, I know, I know. Facebook, Instagram and Adam, I, I don't really look, they should did a fantastic job, really a fantastic job. They don't, <laughs> journalism, TV journalism generally isn't that great these days, but these were the right questions and they were softballs, but they were still the right questions. I digress. Take a break. Okay. What does that mean? Didn't fully elaborate. They're working on it. By the way, Adam's answer to everything is they're working on it. They've known about this since the beginning of time, but they were still working on it. Um, <laughs> here we go. Take a break as a pause button. Wait for it. Unlike just you leaving the app for a little while, you won't miss a thing because when you come back, it'll get you right where you left off. So if you were being abused horrifyingly when you left, it's right I mean, there. You are any kids on these focus groups? Like there, there's there's no chance. My daughter checks Instagram. All I have a 13-year-old kid. I yeah. am the target demo here. There, yes. there is no chance she is going to ever say, I will take a break. She doesn't take a break when she has a, a report due, when she has homework. She doesn't take a break. Because social media is addicting because it does things to our brain chemistry that that food and sex. And for me, it would be not just food. It would be, you know, cider donuts and uh, soft pretzels. It's like, okay, uh, superheroes. Honestly, superheroes, whatever it is. I, this is horrifying. The idea that the head of Instagram went on the Today Show and said 
we're working on it and we got nothing. And what we do have is actually more dangerous and less likely to work. And the headline, by the way, Seth, and we just, I credit where credit's due. The headline is, oh, we're pausing our Instagram for children product be, for tweens product because, you know, we're getting too much. We want to do a little more uh, outreach and get uh, well, you know, a little Shelley, more. Let me, let me take you boys. one step further. Let me take you one step further. Not only did they say they're pausing that, first of all, no kid is going on Instagram for kids when they can be on Instagram. And they admitted they have no way of policing any ages on children that do not have IDs. And I will tell you, and I'll be full, I'll full disclosure. I have a 10 year old who has an Instagram account. Now, uh, just so, so people don't think they're going to call it child services. I have access to both their Instagram accounts. I can see what's going on and I can see if things are getting toxic, but that's not what that's not going to stop it. And if you can have anybody who's nine years old, get on Instagram, there is literally no reason for a, a, an Instagram for kids app. No one's going. So the age limit is kind of interesting, Seth, because in order for anyone to confirm who you are, you need to be at the age of majority where you can give what's known as affirmative consent. Mm -hmm. So in order to be under 13 and so over 13, you actually have to be over 18 to say that you're over 13 right, because right. otherwise you're not, they can't right. ask you because you are not, you're an infant. You're they in the eyes of the law, you're a minor. You. And yeah, so what kids are doing is they're just making up a year they were born. Why not? And, and nothing can stop it. The, the only way you could stop that would be some self-sovereign identity tools where the parents would have control of the child's access to the internet. And by the way, that's not going to happen. We live in, and I'm not even sure it should, by the way. Um, you know, I, I get asked this all the time. Parents say, well, what monitoring software should I use? How should I watch my children online? And this is more than a tough problem. I've, I've got three kids and three grandkids. My grandchildren, I have, as are the ages of your children, 10 and 13, and uh, my two oldest granddaughters, and they are right in it. As you know, the kids are right in it right now. Right now. And the 13-year-old has a smartphone, which has very limited and restricted use, use cases, and she's not allowed to do certain things, at least her parents watch her as best they can. And the 10 year old does not yet have a smartphone. And that is of course becoming an issue this year. She's going to yep. turn 11 in January and because her every one of her friends has it and all the yep. camp friends have it. And the peer pressure is insane. Um, oh, it's insane. And it's, it's really unfair because what they do, the parents are forced. Yep. Like well, you're forced. Do not tell me you can stick to your guns and say no smartphone when every other kid has it. How do you have play dates? And no, I think, but here's what's important though. I don't think you can restrict the smartphone access or tablet access or computer access. And the reason I don't think you can do that is that part of growing up in the world they are growing up in means being facile and expert in the tools of their generation, not ours. Right. And to say, well, you know, I didn't do that when I was a kid. I went outside and played with my friends. Like, you didn't have the option. You didn't. So when you think back on the renegade stuff you did as a kid, what did you do? You listened to music you weren't supposed to listen to. You, you might have uh, played a video game back in the day. You know, it might have been Pong, but you played a video game. 
you went to the art, whatever you did, it was the, the leading edge of what you could do sociologically to be part of the crowd. Here, these are tools for life. These aren't just tools for childhood. These are skills, the ability to Google something, the ability to understand how to quickly and efficiently find what you need on the internet and get the information you need is a competitive advantage. And learning that young, I practice piano every day. I really do. I've been practicing piano every day since age of four. By the time I was eight years old, I could play all my scales and chords about the same way I can play them now and my arpeggios and all of the practice drills I do today, I've been doing for the better part of a half a century. And I have to tell you, some of that stuff I rely on is mu muscle memory and motor memory stuff I don't think about. I, you can't develop it at, at our age. There's no way I could sit down today and accomplish what I accomplished when I was a kid. You got a 10 year old with a plastic mind that can just take in information and, and adapt. You, yeah. How do you restrict that? That is yeah. dumb. Here's what I do think though. And, and I've said this a million times and I think this is a great day to say it. I'm gonna ask you a question. When you taught your kids to cross the street, you said to them, hey, you look both ways. You look both ways again. Then we purposefully walk across the street, not run, not linger. We purposely walk across the street, constantly being aware of our circumstances. Then you grab their hand and you practiced. Did, how many times did you do that, Seth, with your kids? Oh, dozens, dozens. Endless. And there were times we would take walks and we would cross the street just to prove that we could. Right. If you're well, walking around the block, you can go on the left side of the road, the right side of the road, and we would cross and all, all the time. And okay. Yeah. Eventually so, they want to do it. Themselves. And the reason you did that is why, why did you practice that at that level? Because it, it was either that or chain them to my wrist. Exactly. It is a super dangerous world. And you, the, and, and one of the places, you know, for a fact, you can get seriously injured or dead is crossing a street. <laughs> my, I probably did that with my children until they were teenagers. And as a joke, my adult children, when I'm walking with my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, who is um, my most mature daughter is, is an adult in every sense of the word and has two children of her own who are 10 and 13. I'll grab her hand as a joke. Okay, let's cross the street and she'll laugh because that's how many times we did it. What would possess a parent to say to your kid, yeah, the internet's pretty dangerous. So, you know, just be careful what? This is a place where you need to parent. And most parents who are not tech savvy don't understand the dangers. And so today, if you're listening and you are a parent and you are not thinking it's that dangerous because you have no trouble navigating it, I'm telling you, this is, this is, you're abdicating your role as a parent if you're not absolutely in every kid's face about what's real, what's not real, what's fake, what's, what's dangerous, what's not dangerous. And, and I have to say, my dad, may he rest in peace, was given the greatest compliment ever, according to him, about <laughs> me when I was 14 years old from a teacher of mine. And, and he told me about it after the fact. And I didn't understand it when I was 14. But as a grandfather of three and a father of three, I understand it now. Uh, I wasn't in the room when this compliment was paid, so I didn't hear it. This is secondhand. But my dad came into my room that night and sat on the edge of my bed, as he did almost every night, so uh, to chat before I went to sleep, and uh, you know about the day. And and he said, uh, "I got a, a really nice compliment about you today." And I said, "What?" He goes, "Well, from your from your after school karate teacher." I'm like, "Oh wow, what did Sensei Rossini say?" And he's like, 
He said, Shelly's good by himself. I don't have to watch him. He really taught him well. You can trust him. <laughs> and my father beamed as he told me that. And I didn't understand. I literally didn't understand. I didn't know how that was a compliment when I was 14 years old. It's like, oh, that's great, dad. You're great. How amazing that your kids are taught well enough that you can send them out into the world and you don't have to think about that they're going to make bad choices. And I, I didn't know what he meant then, but I know what he means now. And I got to say, Seth, with the respect to the internet, helping your children make good choices is a full-time job. It is unbelievable. The it's burden, the burden that this has put on, yeah, on next my... week, we could do a whole podcast on Snapchat. Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. 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 It doesn't matter which one we're kids don't have Facebook. Only old people have Facebook. That's true. It's true. But all social media falls into this category. The algorithms are trained. TikTok being the most insidious and best of them all. Instagram wishes on its best day. It was as good as TikTok. Yeah, but I I told you about a great lesson that uh, Hurricane Ida taught my kids. during that hurricane, you know, we live in the Northeast in New Jersey and our town was getting flooded. And so it was a crazy night. And TikTok reported that the nearby Turtleback Zoo in West Orange, New Jersey, uh, the animals got loose and there were pandas and tigers and penguins walking on Northfield Avenue. And you don't see kid, that every day. It was, <laughs> no joke. But it was categorically Turtleback Zoo went on social media, on Twitter. And they said that's false. There's no truth to that. But news spread like wildfire. And I said, you cannot. And I've said this before. I said it about politics. I've said it about other things. You can't get your info just from TikTok. No. I said, I'm not telling you you can't use TikTok, but you can't rely on TikTok. And they all had egg on their face. You know, the, the egg on their face. The two things I wanted them to take away was, number one, TikTok is not a source of news. And boy, count your blessings because we were really lucky. There were friends of their uh, of my kids that were getting their houses flooded, and we weren't. So appreciate yeah. that. And I thought yeah. that Hurricane Ida taught them two really valuable lessons. But the TikTok one, I cannot escape. The, anytime they tell me about something on TikTok, I go, is that the same author? Is that the same TikToker who told you about the pandas on Northfield? So I'm going to give everyone an exercise they can do with their kids on a weekend that will really help. I've, I've taught this to parent teacher associations. I've taught it in after school pro bono classes that we do for the English departments around the city here in New York. Everybody now has a smartphone and everybody can edit, especially now when people are just doing so much on Instagram and Instagram TV and TikTok and everybody's making Facebook stories all the time, Snapchat. Make an event happen. It doesn't matter what the event is. The event could be going to the zoo. The event could be taking out the garbage. The event could be uh, doing uh, chores in the kitchen, doing the dishes. It doesn't matter what the event or the process is. And make a video of the entire process, whatever that process is. It literally doesn't matter. Then use whatever editing software you have, either in your smartphone or on your laptop, and change the sequence of those events so that the story has changed and go out of your way to change the story, dramatically change it. So instead of doing the dishes, you didn't do the dishes. Instead of taking out the garbage, the garbage was left in a shambles. And what happens is, and you can do three or four versions of it. What happens is very quickly, 
it becomes obvious to your child, and maybe even to you if you haven't thought about it, that you cannot trust any video you ever see because all video, 100% of video is editorialized. And even if there's not one edit in it, if the sin of omission, the editorial sin of omission is used and it's preset, so you only see the excerpt that proves the point, you don't see the context. So taking any shots out of context or out of sequence allows you to change the narrative. And once someone understands the power of editorial and also that every single thing you ever watch had an editorial point of view specific to the creator of that video, of that writing, of that audio. Once you understand that, your whole perspective changes because you are taught, you're teaching yourself to question. But until someone actually physically changes their own narrative in a way that surprises them, they don't understand that everything they watch is manipulative. When you add the algorithmic capability of, of, of the training sets that constantly get great feedback. What makes TikTok so insanely good is that it knows when you are reacting positively and negatively. If you hover, if you, you don't have to hit a like, if you hover, if you linger, if you go and you look at a few other videos from the same person without hitting like it, it's not like Facebook where there's messenger and stories and groups and the news feed where they have to aggregate all of that to understand you. TikTok understands you because you do one thing. You scroll the TikTok feed. And so it is the best in class because it is the simplest uh, interface with respect to giving great feedback to the algorithm. The algorithm learns and learns and learns. And so it's frightening how big brother this is. It's frightening. It's Seth, this thing that Adam Mazzari did I, I maybe they think that that was the we're working on it. I'm sorry, you're making a fortune off of torturing little girls. What? What? You're working on it? They're not working. Shut on the it. app down for a couple of weeks and prove to us you're working right. on it. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, look at what's with between the pandemic and the way kids are. You know, kids are kids to begin with, and I don't think there are more evil humans to one another than than children. Um, young children just don't know boundaries. And you watch them bully each other. I think oh we, we God, were all it's relentless. And so, and, and, and the group chats, the group texts that get created when someone sees a post, it is unnerving how much conversation about a single post. And these are kids posting that they were at the beach. Like yeah. It's that simple. You know, Seth, I have an article at ShellyPalmer.com called Guying a Tree Has Consequences. And it's a story, again, uh, thanks to my father, again, may he rest in peace, that he told me years and years and years ago. And it's a short little parable about a guy who plants a tree and the tree is having some trouble because it's windy and it's a little tree. And so he puts a guy wire on it, you know, just a wire to a post. And as the tree grows bigger, he puts another one and it grows bigger and stronger. And he puts, now he's got these three guy wires. And over the years, he, he constantly makes these guy wires stronger because the tree gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And 18 years in, he's looking at this big, strong strapping tree. And he goes, this tree is amazing. I take these guy wires off now. I don't need that. I probably should have taken them off years ago, but I'm taking them off today. First strong storm comes a couple of days later, tree falls right over. Guying a tree has consequences. You cannot protect your kids from everything. You have to teach your children and every parent knows that and every grandparent knows that every sober human being knows that. And I'm not suggesting that you have to nanny watch your kids to the point where you smother them. 
you have to, everyone needs to do what they need to do. And there's no right way. There's just your way. So, uh, and I agree, guying a tree has consequences. It's a, it's a major principle I grew up with. You got to be able to take your lumps, but nobody is prepared for what goes on. You're 10 years old. You are not prepared for what's going to happen to you on Instagram. And to say, well, you got to learn to be prepared. It's like, do we? Is that the world we want to live in? Are we going to be the architects of that world? This is our generation passing down to their generation. Are these the tools? You don't let people smoke because it causes cancer. Can I ask, um, let's, let's, let's make some broad strokes here. Could you ban Instagram from 18 and say you have to have a license or you have to have an ID? Uh, you know, you have to, you have to have proof of your 18 or else you can't be on it. I, I don't know if that's, look, I'm, I don't think the government ever does anything right. I, I hate no, to no, say no, no, no. I'm not asking the government to do it. I'm asking Facebook to do it. Yeah. Is that the right way? What about the responsible children who use this beautifully? What about the people who use it to say, look, I'm having a wonderful day today. But Instagram is a privilege, not a right. I would argue that that is 100% correct, nor is it a requirement, although some people would say that it is. But I'm What's, saying if you, but, but you take it, and you swap it out, like what you can do. Yeah. Look, I, I don't have my solution to Instagram is make it go away. I think, you know, till it's 18. Sure. That's a compromise. I, I have my thinking has evolved on all social media. I am now convinced that the echo chambers created and the misinformation that people are profiting from is so insidious. And so, and by the way, misinformation is not new. This is the problem I'm having. And it's the argument you have to have. And I'll argue the other side. We've had yellow journalism since the beginning of journalism, you've had government control the media. And in yeah, many true. states, in many countries around the world, government does control the media. And we're privileged and lucky to have a free press. But the downside of a free press is we've gone past journalism now. And now we're in a position where everybody's opinion apparently is the center of the universe. Not only is everyone entitled to it, it's de facto true. Well, it's true, it's your opinion, but it doesn't make it doesn't make your facts correct. And so or your interpretation of the facts correct, because you don't like if you go on any of these social media sites, you'll see someone pontificating about uh, the vaccine. And they'll give you their reasons right. why really you went on you went on Instagram, or you went on YouTube, you went on on Google, and you learned more than the best scientists in the world who've been studying this forever. And your opinion, based on your research, which was watching videos and reading some rants from people who are espousing a different point of view than the science points out to now you think you know something and therefore you're going to you're going to scream it out to the world i don't want to get into the vaccine story with anybody because i'm kind of sick of it but that's that that sequence is the sequence what's worse that worse seth and i think what's people need to also think through is that the way to win a twitter war and i'm using that as all, any social media war the way i'm using that uh phrase twitter war is to take, take something that is very subtle and make it binary. Mm. And then you take the wrong side. So if you think about it, and I'm going to get yelled at for this, let's talk about a right-leaning tweet about a woman's uh, reproductive health. Abortion right. is murder. Short, sweet. Yep. The only thing you can say is yes or no to that if you agree or don't. The left-leaning tweet. While it's true that life may begin at conception, a zygote is not viable until, well, I'm, I'm out of characters. I'm done. I've, no one is like, so I've got a concise, you're with me or against me tweet on one side. I've got an explanatory backed right. by science explanation on the other. 
which one is more compelling, more emotional? So if you take a subtle issue like women's reproductive health, you make it binary and you take one side of it, the easy side, and you go for it, you're going to win that Twitter war because the people who agree with you will agree and the people who don't agree with you are going to come at you with everything they have, although it won't be effective. You get all the likes, you get all the action, you get all the retweets. And so everyone has realized that it is a binary system and everybody's realized that only the extremes get noticed. No one in the middle is getting retweeted. No one with an explanation is getting any additional likes or attention. So the way to get attention, the way this system is set up, the way the algorithm works is you go fully extreme left or fully extreme right, that's gonna work for you. So what do we have? We have a middle that's disappeared, sober, thoughtful approaches to problems are buried in the noise of people screaming at each other top of their lungs on fully extreme points of view. And the algorithm rewards that. And I, when I say the algorithm, I mean all algorithms that are, are, are trained to do one thing. And this needs to also be understood. The way that every algorithm in social media is trained, and they're all trained, they are all trained differently, but their objective is the same. Promote the highest level of engagement possible. And in the case of Google, it's get you to click on something they get paid for. In the case of Facebook, it's get you to click on something they get paid for. For TikTok, it's keep you on long enough for you to see something that you might click on that they get paid for. You getting that? It's all about keeping you there and moving you towards clicking on something they get paid for. They will tune this. And the, the way they, what they know is the longer you're on, the more you're engaged, the deeper you are hypnotized by this process of scrolling, endless scrolling, the more likely you are to see something that will get you to click because you're in the casino. And then they go out of their way to keep you in the casino. No clocks, no lights, no windows, just things that go ding, ding, ding and make you happy. And they keep you winning and winning and winning. And they get you just enough likes to keep you liked. And if you're not getting enough likes and you're dying to be liked because it's binary, you're on the other side of it. Then you are the fodder. You are the, the collateral damage. How is this good for anybody? How is this good for anybody? So I think that today just confirmed all the things I already know, Seth, about social media. And I, you know, look, like I said, we've been working with Facebook for years and years and years, and they're good clients and they're going to be plenty mad at this, but I don't care. This is well, over the top. This is I, over the top. I was so insulted by Adam Azari's interview this morning. It was so canned and terrible and just, you might as well just go there and say, yeah, we know we're hurting people, but so what? Well, the, the interesting part about it is, number one, you have uh, used that analogy on the toxicity of social media. And what I find is a very interesting experiment on my other podcasts. Anytime I have a guest, I like to promote them. Sure. And the way I do it is I always my last question on almost every episode is, how do you feel about to social media? And every day. Every week on at least two podcasts, there's a different response. Sure. It's amazing. No one, it, it, it's never something that everyone loves. It's never so, there are some people who embrace it. Some people who can't stand it. Some people do it out of obligation. Like, and that's adults. 
I, the, the but by the way, Seth, not, every, not everybody likes donuts. I mean, you know, I like donuts, but my, my Who wife doesn't, doesn't like, like donuts? donuts. My wife doesn't like donuts. I don't know. She was raised wrong. That's what makes a horse she race. A communist? And- What's going on? <laughs> Diversity and inclusion. All people should love donuts. I, my worldview isn't the only worldview, and yours isn't the only worldview. And, you know, anyone with a half a brain can keep a couple of opposing ideas in, in, in their mind at the same time. And you can also appreciate and listen. And, and by the way, Socratic debate makes us all stronger. The best idea is the best idea. So I'm not saying that I have the right answer to this, but I'll tell you what the wrong answer was. The wrong answer was the way that, that Instagram presented itself this morning from, you know, from it, from the highest office at Instagram. If that's what they're doing, if that's who's in charge, if that's their answer to this, then uh, somebody's got to take some action because that is unacceptable. We're working on it. Oh yeah. Take a break. We're going to nudge you. What? Wait, what? No, none of that makes any sense. I can't believe it was said out loud. It's frying pan into the fire. I don't accept that as the right answer. The right answer is you want to prove you're working on it. Then show me something. They've known about this since the beginning of time because that's how this works. There's no mystery inside the halls of Facebook about this. And if the Wall Street Journal hadn't done that expose that brought out that research, this interview wouldn't have happened. There's because why should it? They're making money, they're having fun, and they're, they're, it's accretive to their shareholders. This is just flat wrong. There's no other way to position this. And I, I guess they spent a lot of money on, on PR prep for Adam. It wasn't worth it. They are doing the wrong thing the wrong way. And the message they just laid out makes me less happy than I have ever been with the future of Facebook and social media. They deserve what they're going to get now because that was the wrong answer, folks. That was the wrong answer. That's Shelly Palmer. I'm Seth Everett. Don't forget, you can subscribe, like, and you can even put TechStream on Instagram. Although, why would you? (laughs) We'll see you next week. 